Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CME curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Hi, my name is Manesh Patel. I'm at Duke Cardiology, and welcome to this episode of What Anticoagulation Options Do We Have for Our Elderly Patients with Atrial Fibrillation? I'm joined by a friend and a colleague, a star electrophysiologist in this space, uh, Sean Picorni. Sean, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Manesh. Really looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, so first, maybe we should just start by defining elderly. In the clinical trials uh, arena in atrial fibrillation, it tends to be that these are considered people over 75 years of age. And I think that's likely um, from our CHADS2 score that we had initially, and now the CHADS FAST score. So over 75 tends to be how we think about elderly, but we know with an aging population, we've had people go on and on in age, which is great. And in these trials, some pretty elderly patients have been involved. I guess the first option is warfarin, and I'll tackle that one, and then I'll give you the hard ones of all the new ones. But we've had warfarin for quite some time. And interestingly, even though we know there's a hazard with warfarin, both in the Bob Hart meta-analysis and other data, we've seen that warfarin is quite effective in people. There is an increased hazard as you age for bleeding, and that's probably where the newer agents have started to show maybe their best benefit is some of our older patients that are at the highest risk. But certainly it is still potentially one of the options. But what about the other options? You know, in the last 12 to 15 years, we've had four new therapeutics come about. And I used to say, you know, warfarin was the Muhammad Ali. It was undefeated. Uh, It never lost in these clinical trials. But now there are four agents for the last 12 to 15 years that haven't. Maybe you walk us through sort of the data with the elderly for both dabigatran, rivaroxaban, apixaban, and adoxaban. Those are sort of the order of the trials. Maybe walk us through those, Sean. Sure. Yeah. I I guess first I would maybe just say that one of the things I think is really important is just highlighting the undertreatment that happens throughout our society. And this is even more applicable in the elderly population, you know, which obviously we're focusing on today. I think that that as you mentioned, again, we'd had warfarin for decades and everybody sort of assumed that once these newer agents came out, that all of a sudden everybody who wasn't anticoagulated would now become anticoagulated. And that really hasn't been what we've seen. We've only seen about a two to 3% increase in the number of patients that are treated year over year with the introduction DOAX. And, and I think that that's been a little bit disappointing as we know that really about 40% to maybe as much as 50% of patients who have a guideline indication for anticoagulation are not currently treated. Again, that's particularly true in the elderly where there are some of these concerns around falls. I think that that you know as we think through the different DOACs that are now available, I would say that that to me, one of the things that really comes to my mind is the renal clearance of the medications. And so Dabigatran in particular, you know, I'm often cautious of in my elderly patients where you can get larger swings in their creatinine clearance and and more of the medication is cleared renally. Obviously, that's less of a concern for the other three agents with apixaban, rivaroxaban, and adoxaban. And I would say really across all the studies, what we've consistently seen is that if anything, the elderly patients benefit just as much, if not more, relative to Warfarin. And we've seen that within the clinical trials. And we've also seen that in the real world data where with Aristophanes, there were uh, over a third of the patients were over 80 years of age. Naxos, a a study in Europe, looking at the DOAX versus warfarin as well, also had a very well-represented population of patients that were over age 80. And really consistently across the real world evidence that we've seen with Aristophanes and Naxos, as well as the clinical trials, we consistently see 
the DOAX outperforming warfarin, especially in the older patient population? Yeah, I think if all three of the DOAC or 10A trials, the elderly population did far better, if not equal, if not better and consistent with the DOAC versus warfarin. In fact, we know one of the ways these agents were better is that they had less intracranial bleeding and less fatal hemorrhage compared to warfarin. So our elderly patients are potentially the best benefit risk profile for these. And a lot of these trials, certainly Aristotle, but certainly even Rocket had 43% of people over 75. So well-represented patients over 75 with renal function. So you should feel some confidence in using those agents, I think, in that space. And then I think it's really important to also think about recent data where people have um, talked about a trial called Frail AF. Yeah, People were on warfarin and they got switched to a DOAC and didn't seem to significantly get a benefit from that. Maybe you describe your response to Frail AF and then I'll come back to a few thoughts I have. Yeah, I think, you know, Frail AF was, as you know, stopped early for futility. And so there were no definitive findings as a result of that study. I think that that one of the things that Frail AF highlights to me is just the complexities that we face in our healthcare system is as you make any changes in a patient's healthcare, their medications, it can be a higher risk time period. And I think that that particularly in, in Frail AF, when patients initially make that transition from warfarin over to a DOAC, one that needs to be monitored closely and it needs a lot of input by their providers. But, but two, you're going to need to follow those patients for a longer period of time to truly see that benefit. And so, again, these the in particular intracranial hemorrhages are relatively infrequent events, which is which is great and important. But again, these are events that that we certainly see more commonly in our, our elderly patients. And so I think we really need to follow these patients for longer than we were able to in frail AF to potentially see some of those benefits. I would say that that you know one of the reasons that we commonly get for not treating patients with anticoagulation is concerns about fall risk and there've been secondary analyses both from Aristotle and from Rocket that have looked at patients who had a history of falls and demonstrated that if anything those patients actually had more benefit with DOAC relative to warfarin in the patients that had you know fall history and so i think that that it really comes down to to patient selection and making sure that you make that transition over safely for these patients, but but interested for your thoughts as well. I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I think the unique things about anything is first, uh, this started with your first conversation, which is some anticoagulation of any sort is better than none. And we have too, way too many patients that are elderly who are not anticoagulated, or I'll call under anticoagulated with the wrong dose of a medication or a suboptimal dose. So making sure you treat them and treat them at the right dose is important. That's number one. Number two, People that have been treated for some period of time are, I'll call it responders. They haven't bled. They haven't had an episode. So when you enroll those patients in a trial compared to any other agent, it's going to take a while for the other agent to show a benefit. And that, I think, is what we see in frail AF because it's not as big as the bigger trials that we saw. And of course, if people have been doing okay for a while, it takes a while to see a different benefit. So I think those are the findings. And when we look at individual patient meta-analyses from the three or four large randomized DOAC trials, we see still a large benefit with with um, I, I, the newer agents. So I think it's likely that if I have a new patient, patient I'm taking care of, and their AFib is new and they're older, I'm going to be reaching for one of the, the newer agents, uh, likely not the bigger trend for the renal function issues you described, Pixaban or Rivaroxaban, often figuring out the dose. Renal dysfunction, it's easier to dose Rivaroxaban for me, but however you do it, you're going to treat these patients. 
some of those patients with really high bleeding risk of doxaban has some really interesting data that's valuable yeah. too. So I, I just think that, you know, that's what we see. Either way, um, appreciate you joining me. And I guess our big take-home message is understand the patient's risk, do shared decision-making, and recognize more times than not the elderly patient with AFib benefits from treatment versus no treatment. And we can talk about how to treat them, but really the key is to get them treated. And then we do think the newer agents are substantially better than warfarin. And the story with frail AF may be that we saw a sort of a responder evaluation in patients with atrial fibrillation. Yep. No, I, I completely agree. And, and we looked at this in the Orbit AF study as well. And we showed that that there's sort of a myth of the stable INR patient. A lot of these patients have periods of instability, even when they've had prior periods of strong stability. So again, couldn't agree more. I think it's a really important topic and making sure that we're getting these patients treated is really the key. Yeah, well, it's been great talking to you about this. And again, thank you all for joining us. We look forward to working up and making sure we treat our elderly patients with atrial fibrillation. Great, thanks for having me. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME Incorporated, and is part of our Minute CME curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.